I want Luke to come up because we get offended. We're very sensitive people. And um, people don't think that. They think we have thick skin. We're very sensitive people, aren't we? We get our feelings hurt. And Mark has never used us on the praise team. Not and once. So, not once. He's never even asked us, never even broached the subject. So we decided we're going to do a duet today. Okay? <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira got together to conspire a plot to cheat the church and get ahead. They knew God's power but did not fear it. They tried to cheat the Holy Spirit. Peter prophesied and then they both dropped dead. Oh, God loves a cheerful giver. Give it all you've got. He loves to see you laughing when you're in an awful spot. So when the odds are up against you and you cannot see anything, praise God to praise him is a joyous thing. Maybe Mark will rethink now. <laughs> and let's, let's uh, open your Bibles or get your device, uh, wherever you, whatever form you have your Bible. We're in Acts chapter 4 and 5 today. And uh, let's, uh, let's give our attention to the scripture. Uh, there's so much force. Ken uh, Shigematu is, uh, uh, is a, a preacher in Japan, and he is... Uh, he's in uh, Osaka, and he's married to Sakiko. Sakiko has this uh, wonderful love for animals, and she loves to take especially hurt animals and nurse them back to health. She found a chipmunk that was uh, near death, took it to the vet. The vet said, no way, this creature's going to survive. Just nurse it out of its misery. So she brought it home, and amazingly, uh, this chipmunk started getting better, started thriving. She named it Forte. And got to the place where she came home and little Forte would run around in circles and uh, just greet her warmly. She'd sit at the computer and it would run across her keyboard. Kind of gives me the creeps, to tell you the truth. Uh, little rodent stuff. I'd like to sacrifice it, you know. And I don't want emails from you animal lovers this week, okay. <laughs> And uh, she, then she, she would give it walnuts, of course, and little, little Forte would hide the walnuts in the corner uh, where he'd sleep. And then suddenly she saw something happen. He started, started bringing uh, walnuts and putting them under her pillow, up to half of them. And she'd put them back, and he just kept bringing back under her pillow. There was some uncanny way that little Forte got the connection that he was alive because of Sakiko. And there had to be some way that he was showing gratitude. Something like how the early church lived. Because they were on their way to death just like you and I were on the way to death. And something happened. Jesus stepped into our lives. And we were made alive. And that changed everything. It's the generous life that is one of the evidences that Jesus has stepped in. And he's transformed us. He's taken us out of death to life from being lost to being found. So our text today is all about that. And what Dr. Luke does is he, he lays next to each other these two accounts to show us the contrast between what, what a self-centered or selfish person looks like and what a self-sacrificing person looks like. 32 of chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. 
Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I think it's time to take an offering. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for preserving this account for us today. Teach us to see ourselves from it. Help us to be honest with ourselves before you. Help us to be good hearers of the word so we may be good doers of it as well. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. I love the phrase, the statement that says, great grace was upon them all. Uh, you know, grace, of course, is, is getting something you don't deserve. We've gotten salvation. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve that, that, that God rescues us. I deserve hell. That's where, what should be my destination because of my own rebellion. But instead, he interrupted that, and he took, he took upon himself the wrath on his son Jesus so that we could be free and we could, we could be in him. But grace is also about being granted the will and the power to be changed people. That he transforms us from the heart, but he works together with our wills to become uh, new people, and he empowers us to live this new life. How do we know that we have been captured by grace? There are a lot of ways. We're going to use these texts to, to help us understand this generous life. First of all, there is a considerable change in your grip. You remember going to the, the fair or a carnival and you put your quarter in and, and squeeze that, you know, whatever it was, and then the little register went up to see how good your grip was? You know, uh, it was all a scam, I'm sure, because mine didn't go very high. I'm sure it didn't read it right. Anyway, uh, and scientifically, there's research been done now that they will even suggest how much longer you may live based upon your grip. And, of course, it has to do something with your cardiovascular uh, health. Well, it's also true when we think in a spiritual sense, our grip suggests the condition of our spiritual selves, our spiritual heart, what it's like. And what happens when great grace is upon us, that there is both a tightening and a loosening. For instance, look at verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. 
When it came to relationships, there was a tightening. We saw in Acts chapter 2 that they were devoted. One of the things they were devoted to was fellowship. They were in the temple courts worshiping God, and then they went from house to house. They opened their homes to one another. And so there was this wonderful grip on one another, so they, they, they were one in heart and mind. I don't think that means they shared all the same opinions, but they had been so woven together by the grandness of the resurrection of Jesus that dominated their lives. And so not only did they cling to one another because of that, but they clung also to people. They loved people well, all people, one another, but they also loved their community. And they brought them in, and the church grew like wildfire because there was a tightening on relationships with people. But there was a loosening as well. It says also in our text that no one claimed that any possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Suddenly, stuff wasn't as important as it once was. There was a shift in priorities. And one of the people that demonstrated well was a man named Joseph, who was from Cyprus. And, 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 and they called him Barnabas. That was his nickname, which means son of encouragement. And I've never seen a sermon series done on Barnabas, but there could be one. Because every time you see Barnabas show up, he's kind of got his arm around somebody. And you may think you're not very gifted, you may think there's not much I can do. One of the best ministries any person can ever offer is the ministry of encouragement to other people. And I hope we can be that kind of church always and grow better at it. But, you know, his story is a snapshot of those whom grace had captured. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. That's what Acts 4 is demonstrating. So there's considerable change uh, in our grip. More and more, we hold on to people for the sake of eternity and for the sake of unity in his church. We also loosen how important stuff is to us. It's just not that important at all. There's movement there. Second of all, there's a noticeable freedom in your faith. Now, maybe you grew up in a church where you didn't feel very free. It was legalistic, lots of rules, lots of confinement, and you felt smaller because of it, not grander. But that's not, the wor- that's not healthy faith. Healthy, fa- healthy faith recognizes freedom. freedom. Ananias and Sapphira are contrasted with Barnabas here. Uh, they, 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 this, and by the way, this is not socialism. This is not, that's what the church was practicing. Socialism... Uh, there is a coerced uh, giving away. You're forced to give away so everybody is equal. That's not what this is. This is natural from the heart. It's from inside. It's from a heart that is changed. A person is made new. And, and you know, I've heard there, there are churches that send, like, how much you should give based on what we think you make, what your salary is. This is how much you should make. I can't imagine being a part of a church. like. But I do remember about 25 years ago, and I hesitate to say this because she could still be alive in our church. I don't know. So if it's you, it didn't mean to be offensive. But like 25 years ago, we sent out annual statements. We do that every year. So we sent this annual statement to this woman. I don't know who it was. And her annual statement had $1. That's what she gave the year before. She thought it was a bill. So she attached a dollar and sent it back to us. There's something missing there somewhere. I don't know where we missed that. But you know, if you feel coerced to give, then that's, that's, that's not grace giving. It comes out of a changed, changed kind of heart. There's this freedom in this movement. Evidently, and nice and maybe they wanted a nickname. Maybe they thought that was cool. 
or maybe they wanted the notoriety, or maybe they, maybe they just, maybe they just, they hadn't understood grace. I don't know. Some, something was missing there. I remember being a little kid going to Universal Studios. How many have been to Universal Studios? I mean, as a kid, I was deflated because the psycho house wasn't nearly as scary as it looked like on the movie. And I started seeing all these facades of Western towns, and you turn the corner, and you're in modern America, and I'm thinking, what a joke, you know? And it's amazing what they do, you know, with computer graphics now, and all that, all, all that happens. I mean, it, it, you, you, be, you believe this. I mean, they, they're masters at making something be so real, aren't they? The sad part is the church can do the same thing. We can be masters at appearing a certain way when we're not. And God's judgment falls heavy upon us when we live that kind of double life. Now, remember, they had freedom. The problem wasn't in the amount they gave. is what they were pretending to be. Peter said to them, didn't it belong to you before it was sold, this property? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, Peter, you could do what you wanted to with this money. Nobody was demanding you to give all this money. You could have said, we kept this much. Here's some of, here's some of the proceeds we got from. Fine. No big deal about that. There was no coercion, completely free will. They just somehow wanted to appear more spiritual than they really were. Being generous ought to be the most natural thing. And by the way, this freedom in faith, we need to exercise that toward one another. We all grow at different rates. Some of you, I mean, you get truth, and man, you take off. There are others where the process of faith, the journey is just more hard, more difficult. It's harder. It's a struggle. It's a struggle to grow, maybe because of the depth of your scars, your bruises, your hurts from life, trust issues. It could be any number of reasons. But we need to extend the same generous grace toward one another as we do to God in our financial resources. We want to be a church that always extends great grace to one another. I hope, I hope we can practice that more all the time. So, there, so when grace is, is upon us, there's this considerable change in our grip. There is a noticeable freedom in our faith. And there's an unmistakable shift in our view of money that Ananias and Sapphira just didn't get Grace hadn't fully impacted them. It just hadn't. As, not the same as in, in, in Barnabas. They appeared sacrificial, and they weren't. Now, by the way, this is just an aside. And may, I may, maybe we'll come back, Luke or I, one, to it later. But Satan is always out to destroy the church. He just always is. And he does it these four ways. The first way we've already seen in chapters 2 and 3 is by persecution. If he can make people hurt and suffer, then he will somehow cause people to be less bold about their faith. If that doesn't work, he did what he does in our text now, chapters 4 and 5. He is attacking uh, through moral compromise within the body. If somehow he can break down Uh, True spirituality, he used Ananias and Sapphira to somehow uh, tempt them and and, and to get them to lose their standard, drop the standard, and God took care of it because he's not going to tolerate that in his church. Uh, When when that doesn't work, the next thing we're going to say is Luke's going to preach next week about chapter 6, and that's when there's distraction that happens because the widows are getting up. They're getting overlooked in the daily distribution of food, and which distracts the apostles from their work of ministry of the word and prayer. And that's not going to work. And so then he introduces false teaching. 
And he's, <laughs> Satan is very uh, unimaginative because those are the four things he always uses, even today in the 21st century, to destroy a church. And we have to be on guard as a church, as a body, all the time against those four things. Don't let persecution take you down. Don't morally compromise God's truth, his standards. No, don't get distracted from the work he's called us to do to make disciples who will likewise make disciples. And don't give in to false teaching. Know the scripture. So you, when, you know false, when you hear false teaching, you can identify it and, 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 and run from it and correct it and so forth. Well, these Jewish believers, remember right now the church is made up of Jews who had become Christians. They don't understand the gospels for Gentiles yet. It's for Jews. And these Jews had learned in the law and Deuteronomy, God has said in the law, let there be no needy persons among you. When Isaiah the prophet told centuries later and 700 years before Jesus that when the Messiah comes, uh, he says he's going he's to bring good news to the poor. And what we have in chapters 4 and 5 is the actuality of good news being actually expressed to the poor. There were no needy persons among them. In other words, nobody had to worry about a house, uh, a roof over their heads, and nobody had to worry about their food, their basic needs being met. Now, I realize our need list has grown a lot longer through the centuries. But the basics, God will always provide for us through his people. That has to be true. You see, it's so easy to get greedy, isn't it? Do you find that in yourself? I find it in me. It's very easy to get greedy. I have been greedier than I am now, but I'm not as greedless as I should be. That's all I can tell you, and I'm not going to give you any illustrations today. Maybe later if I feel like it. I just know me, that I'm bent toward greed. And this message is as much for me as anybody in this room because I like stuff and I don't know what I like and I want to have what I like rather than sacrifice. I'm selfish. So when it comes to this, I mean, I think, I think a Scrooge, how many times have you seen the Christmas Carol, you know? And there's Scrooge and he's, just, he's, he's the greediest person we've ever seen. And he doesn't have any clue how greedy he is. And how selfish and ingrown he's become. And then Christmas past shows up. And he sees his greed. They go to Christmas future. And he sees his, gra his gravestone. And he realizes all the pain that he's caused. And how wrong he's been. But then, you know, he comes to Christmas present. And the opportunities. And when he, he wakes up from his dream, from his vision. I mean, he's not the same Scrooge. I mean, he can't do enough. Why? Because he recognizes that in that dream he was dead, but now he's alive. He has a second chance. And that's who we are, brothers and sisters. We were dead, and now we're alive. And nothing is the same. And one of the, one of the, 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 the most striking differences is we learn to hold loosely things. And we hold tightly to people. And we invest in things, in people beyond ourselves. This is, this is what happens. See, grace changes our calculations about money. And we all calculate money. We all do. We figure out what our money's going to do. And sometimes we calculate toward selfishness, and sometimes we calculate toward being sacrificial. Barnabas calculated toward being sacrificial, and Ananias calculated toward being selfish. 
And we all get to do that. And, and more than likely, that we, we, we bounce back and forth between the two, depending on what's going on and where we are spiritually and what's happened and all that sort of thing. It is so hard to live this. And, and, and sometimes we're pretty passive about our money. You know, it's like off the cuff, you know, uh, we see somebody at the corner and so we hand them a couple bucks or we're in church and see what I have. I'm like, oh, I got a 20 here. Yeah, I'll put that in. I'm feeling pretty good today. So, you know, put that in, whatever it is. Um, you know, that's, that's sloppy, passive giving. I think we're to be calculated, but, but, but a true sacrificial person is going to be thoughtful about what they're investing in eternal purposes about percentages and amounts and, and what we're doing. If you're not thinking through what you're giving financially to the kingdom purposes, then you're probably bent more towards selfishness than being sacrificial. Because unless our giving lowers our standard of living, then we're really not sacrificing. We should be giving to the point that I'm not living as high on the hog as I could be otherwise. Because of Christ, he changes that. Grace also changes the benefits of giving. You see, a person can be generous without Jesus, right? Don't you know generous people who aren't Christians? I do. I think the communities that we're engaged in, where we come from, where we live, there's so many generous people that get involved with schools and they, they, they do lots for our community. And I don't know what their motivation is. Maybe, maybe it's to feel better about themselves. Maybe some people uh, give just because they want a tax break. You know, that's not for me. It's not, my, it's not me to judge. Uh, it's me to appreciate them and be, 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 be thankful. But, but for the early church, it was all about grace. They couldn't help but give to the, to the cause of Christ. Our money can be put into all sorts of things and good things, noble things. Here's what Jesus says. He says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, that's a mouthful. What's he saying there? When you and I step into the corridors of heaven, I don't know if it's going to be like this. This is how I picture it. There might be somebody that comes up to you and say, hey, you, um, you, know, you don't know me, but I, I lived in your community, and, and I was under great distress with my family. I lost my job. We ended up losing our house, bank foreclosing the house. We had no hope, and we heard about Active Grace. And so we ended up at Camp Canby living there, and the people there served us well, and we were able to get back on our feet through their help. And there was a little church there called Stillwaters. We went to that church, and we, we really didn't know Christ. But I know you gave to that ministry in your town, and I just want to thank you. We're here because of you. And some woman comes up and says, you know, you don't know me, but I grew up in Ghana. And uh, uh, you knew a guy named Richard and Tim, and he started a school. And I know you gave money for that, and you had, some, a team, you had teams that came over and worked in Ghana. Well, I want you to know that my family came out of a fetish religion, and uh, I got a scholarship to go to that school, and that's how me and my family got to Jesus. Thank you for doing that. I was in the Ukraine military. And uh, I, I know that you gave to that college, TCI, there in Ukraine. And, and one of their graduates, preacher, uh, came and was a chaplain for, the, for where I served in the military. And some of your ladies at the church, they knitted these hats and scarves for us who were, who were fighting in those days. Thanks so much. We got to Jesus because of that. Wouldn't that be cool? 
They say that money can't buy happiness. I don't believe that. I think money does buy happiness. When you take that money and you invest it in kingdom purposes, our hearts burst with joy and happiness when we know and see what it's accomplishing locally and abroad for the sake of Christ. It's easy to look at money and say, well, I don't have enough to be generous. If that's your thinking, then money has you by the throat. And in essence, what you're saying, God, I know you promised to supply my needs, but I'm not sure about that, so I can't give. It doesn't matter how little you have. You've got fixed income. If you're jobless right now, if, if, if you learn sacrifice, whatever that looks like, it may look like a buck. If that's sacrifice to you, God is well pleased with that, and he will multiply that dollar. You, you may have so much money that you say, well, I can't really give because you've got a lifestyle to keep supported. If so, money's got you by the throat as well. Or maybe you're so steeped in debt that you're a slave to debt. Well, the first thing you need to do is go to financial peace and start getting, making some plans. Go to that care group and, and work your way through that. Have a plan about that so you can be free from that slavery more than anything. But then can know the joy of being generous, being generous. You see, that's why we can't judge each other. I can't judge you. You can't judge me. It's a, it's a private journal. It's a, a, a journey. It's a, it's a personal journey. But we have to move from being less selfish to more sacrificial because that's Jesus. And we are being transformed by the Spirit of Christ in us. God so loved the world that he gave and because we belong to him, we so love God and we so love the world that he died for, that we also give to increase the senses of heaven. This account is not unlike the account of Achan in the Old Testament. Remember that? Remember Achan? Uh, here, here is um, the God's people getting ready to take the promised land. So God leads them in there. They do this, this miraculous thing, marching around the walls of Jericho, the first city they conquered. Those walls miraculously come falling down. God had said, don't touch anything in that city. It all belongs to me, dedicated all to me. All the stuff you see is mine. And everybody obeyed him, but one guy named Achan. And Achan took some of the devoted things, and he hid them in his tent. They went to the next battle of Ai, and they lost, and 36 Israelites, Jewish people, were killed. And Joshua cries out to God, and God says, there is sin in the camp. Somebody stole some of the goods, and they found out it was Achan, and he and his whole family were stoned to death because of their sin. The point is, God was on the move at that historical time, and Achan, his sin, interrupted the movement of God. When the Spirit is on the move in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira interrupt the movement of God by their hypocrisy. It had to be dealt with. Now, my question for you is, since God is on the move and he is on the move, are you with him or are you interrupting his movement by being too self-consumed? See, a changed life means we are sold out to Jesus and his purposes. It's not just about money. It's about being generous in forgiveness of others who offend us. It's being generous in, the, in giving people the benefit of the doubt. 
It's being generous in our service and our time and opening our homes and hospitality and having eyes toward those who need us as well as finances. It's everything. Great grace was upon the church. And friends, I want to be that church. Don't you? I want to know that when God assesses us, that he wants to pour out his grace because these are people who have gripped by Jesus. Look, God doesn't want your money. I'm not asking for your money today. God is saying, will you draw near the cross of Christ? If, if we have a, a money issue or a self-consuming issue, a selfish issue, it's not a money problem or a time problem. It's a grace problem. We haven't understood the cross. So let's keep drawing near the cross. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now let me say this one last thing. This is all going to be foreign to you until you die to self. And you can sit in church every week and not really be dead to self. And one of the first ways you, you find out is you ask your spouse. Because a person who has died to himself serves their spouse well. Died to Christ serves their spouse well. You serve your family. You serve your boss well. You're the best employee that they've got. We die to self. That's what being baptized is all about. I'm dying to self. I'm dying to me-ism, that religion of me-ism. I'm dying to self. I'm dying to sin. I'm dying to my past. I'm dying to my way. And I'm being resurrected by the blood of Jesus to a brand new me I've never met before. And I tell you, you will never regret that decision. You think you have life? You don't until you're willing to die to self. And let Jesus be your Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are bold with us. You tell us things, Father, that are uncomfortable. You tell us things that are difficult. You show us stories of people and what you think about the choices they've made. And Father, we see us, we see ourselves. Thank you for your mercy and your grace upon us at this very hour. And I pray as we worship you, Father, as we remember you in a few minutes in the cross of Jesus, I pray that we will be broken people before you. And we will again lay ourselves down. Thank you. In Christ we pray. Amen.